All right, kiddos, it's third or ages three through first grade, so it's a little different. Some of them like, I don't know, are they giving snacks? Then I'll go. <laughs> I'm going. So this morning at eight o'clock, we had a couple of visitors, and I had to share with them that our head pastor, Pastor Luke, and his wife, Molly are in Greece on a mission trip. So if you're a visitor with us, I'm glad you're here, but then you have to come back to uh, see our head pastor. And um, I get the opportunity as the associate pastor to preach this morning. And to be honest, right away, I have a big sticky note. This is to remind me to follow and tell you the truth. I don't want to do it. I feel absolutely inadequate for what the Lord laid on my heart. And the cool thing is, is then God reminded me of his word, that it is full of people who are inadequate. Amen? All right, somebody's with me. Like, oh, I'm going to the other church if you're talking like this already. But here's the truth. We are all inadequate but we have a supreme, adequate God. And he uses all of us. And the cool thing is, it's his work, it's his message, it's his victory. You and I, our job is to walk on the journey with him. Right? So he's done it. And I got to put this right up front, kids. I know you're usually downstairs with Miss Molly, and I got to I give, give you a warning. I'm not yelling at you, okay? Sometimes I get a little fired up, and then and my kids say, Dad, why do you yell? And I'm like, I don't think I'm yelling. But what's really happening is I'm passionate. Like, thanks, Steve. His, the hearing aids are still ringing from 8 o'clock, so I'm sorry. I'm just giving you the warning. Uh, it starts to burn within me, and it's either cry or it becomes a passion. So if it comes out like that, you were forewarned. Okay. Let's stand. Let's get into 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 1 through 10. We're going to stand as we read God's word. Chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to read all of one chapter. Isn't this good? All right. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mention you in our prayers, remembering before our God and the Father your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for, for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. 
For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word that pierces your work, your ministry, your Holy Spirit, your power, your presence. Lord, just fall upon us, your people. Transform our hearts and lives. Help us to turn to you from everything this world has to offer. We just want you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I should kind of give you a little upfront that we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians for the next, well, this week and next week, so uh, just sit back and enjoy. But a little background here for Thessalonians. Uh, it's cool because Pastor Molly, like I said, they're in Greece, which is stone's throw away from right here, Thessalonica. And what's going on is Thessalonica in the Bible, it is a port city, and it still is today. It's right on the sea there, and it's a big hub. 200,000 people there when Paul was preaching. It is a very rich city, so much so that they were independent from Rome. They were Rome-ruled, but they could make their own rules. You, how many... How many how many people know they paid a lot of taxes for that? Right? You want to be your sovereign port city? Okay, you're going to give a lot to Rome. And they did. They were very wealthy, very rich. And Paul, on his second missionary journey, all right? So he hadn't even been here yet, but it's his second journey. This is his first stop. He goes to Thessalonica, and it says, and he preaches three weeks in the synagogue. Okay? And then he goes and preaches to the Gentiles. Now, we can think, okay, was he only there three weeks? But he got many Gentiles to start following him, and the Jews became so jealous. I'm thinking maybe he's there two or three months. He establishes a church. All of the Jews see that Paul is getting all of these people, and everybody's following him and what he's preaching, and they become jealous, so jealous that they, they hire thugs to go and beat Paul up. And then they started making accusations against him about talking about another king. And what's a big deal about that in this time period is Rome's Caesar, Constantine, just kicked out all the Jews from Rome. You know why? There were zealots trying to overthrow the Caesar because they kept installing more Caesars. And these Jewish zealots started to have uproars in the city of Rome. And he just said, new law, all the Jews, get out. And so here's Paul in Thessalonica, and he's preaching. And they know he's in the synagogue. He's a Jew. He's a Jew of Jews. And you know what they say? He's preaching about a different king, which inflames Rome right away. Because this is what's happening in Right? Their capital city. So Paul's there preaching in big uproar. So much so that all the brothers in Thessalonia say, Paul, you got to get out of here. And overnight they just shipped him out. Got to go. 
And there's such an uproar now that they arrested Jason where Paul was staying, and he had to go to court and pay a big fine, right, to even get out. So uh, some of the scholars say that Paul never really quite was able to go back publicly because of the charges against him there. Now, I say all that to just say that Paul writes this letter back to them, okay? He's writing to Thessalonica. He's been there. He's left. By the time he gets to the next city, right, you know what's happening? The people in that city are telling Paul, you know what's going on in Thessalonica? You know what's going on over there? And Paul's like, yeah, I just left. He goes, no, there's, and that's what he's saying. We don't even have to report to people what's going on there. They're telling us what you're doing. Do you got me? Okay, so as a preacher, I, I would think, Paul's got to be thinking, man, I'm doing a bang-up job here, right? Like, people are really responding, but he doesn't take the credit. He writes this back to the church, and he starts to encourage them. And that's what I want to unpack. What kind of church is this? And then compare ourselves, and we'll be here for two weeks, like I said. So, let's look at verses 2 and 3 here. Let's open your Bibles back up. 1 Thessalonians, verse 2, it says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to make a joke here. You know, Paul in verse 2 says, We thank God always for all of you. Okay, never mind. I won't make the joke, because uh, to love all of God's church, can you say you do that? Right? Where's Matt Hamill? I love him. Right? Where's, you, do you have someone that you struggle to love? But here's Paul saying, I love y'all, and I know at Matt was at 8 o'clock, so I can joke, because he's not here. No. <laughs> No, he knows that we love him. But here's the trifecta Paul is pointing out in this church. Their faith, their hope, and their love. Isn't this a report that we would want of our church? Right? By the time you get to another city, or the, by the time you get out and about and you go eat whatever restaurant you're going to go to, you hear what was going on here. Pastor Luke, like, I think it was three weeks ago, he joked that they would hear what's going on at Circle K. Do you remember that? Okay. So Paul sends Timothy back. He gets to answer some questions. He starts to tell them about your faith, your hope, your love. Everything is, that we're hearing is good news. It's awesome. Hmm. I think about our church, and I could say the same thing. The faith that this church has in Jesus Christ to lift up him and him alone is a testimony. Just this week, a gentleman told me, no matter what job I have, I'm going to be here close to church because it's my church. It's a testimony. The hope that we have in Jesus isn't this pie in the sky. It is concrete Solid, we're all standing on Jesus Christ as our only hope, our church. 
And then I think of the labor of love. I think yesterday there was a labor of love going out, serving 40-plus people here, serving others. And then I think our church puts that in the budget so you know you're all a part of that when you give. We support that. And then, and, th and, and you might say, well, I'm gloating. No, I'm telling you about what the church labor of love here, and it's beautiful. There's a Thanksgiving meal that goes out to the community, and it's free. Just sign up, and you guys are a part of that because you give, and it's part of our budget. September 4th, we're having a free lunch for the whole town up at Praise in the Park, and we're inviting everybody. We're sending out postcards. Come, it's free, and you guys are a part of that. It's a labor of love because you give, and it's part of our budget, that we do this every year. Now, we could boast about our church, or we could say, I want to be the church Paul's talking about. Right? I want to be the church that someone could write to us. Can you imagine if Luke and Molly are preaching in Greece, and they're having an outpouring of Jesus Christ, and we hear about it before they even get back? And some of you are like, duh, yeah, that's Facebook. They're posting pictures. <laughs> no, this is what's happening with Paul, that anywhere he goes, he's hearing about this church. I desire to be a part of that kind of church that has a faith in Jesus Christ, that has the hope in Jesus Christ, and that has the love of Christ coming out of every believer to everyone else around them. And then look at verse 4. He goes on in encouragement and says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Verse 5 also says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. I think there's an awesome thing to unpack right here, when God shows up and there's full conviction, it's beautiful. There is a beautiful breaking when God shows up. And I shared this analogy, I'm going to share it again. It's like a tour of the sun, okay? I'm going to have a ship and I'm going to take you all and we're going to go on a tour of the sun. You know what's cool? Is the sun is life-giving, it gives warmth, it's beauty, but the closer we get to the sun, guess what? The more dangerous it is for us. Do you get that? This is the exact same way it is with God and his people. The closer I get to a holy God, the more dangerous it is for me, a sinner. He's life-giving, he's beautiful, and he's awesome, but his holiness is nothing that we have ever known. And we should quake before a holy God, being his people, knowing how amazing he is in his holiness, that none of us could even stand. And when the power of his word and the power of his Holy Spirit falls on his people, you know what? There, there is a full conviction. There's breaking. There's revival. <laughs> Church family, there's nothing better than 
to have God in our presence, his word, his full conviction. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says it this way. Godly sorrow that comes in, godly sorrow that comes in leads to repentance that leads to salvation. Right? So when God is there and his holiness is there, there's such that we break. We repent. And it's salvation. But guess what? There's a mocking of this. If God's godly sorrow that comes in when full conviction, Holy Spirit, his word is preached, the world has a sorrow, and you know what it leads to? 2 Corinthians 17, death. That sorrow that so many people live with, like, this is all life has given me, this is all I got, is just more and more and more and more, and you have a sorrow, and you regret, and it's death. We're the people that have to run to God. Get close to his holiness, and he brings that godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Now, it's beautiful when he shows up, but here's the thing. Do we want him to show up? Do we want godly sorrow? Or do we want God to just say, okay, we're going to do our religious thing. You just leave us alone. We're going to hang out. Or does his people truly want his presence? All right, verse 6 and 8. We're, getting, we're going to start unpacking the message, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Verse, verse 6 says, and you became imitators of us. This is the church and what they did. They imitated Paul and of the Lord. You received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so that you became an example to, if you got your word open, to who? All the believers. Not just everybody, but that one guy. They became examples to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. <laughs> so that we need not even say anything. Imitators of Paul, imitators of the Lord, going through affliction and hardship with joy in the Holy Spirit. And that church goes out to all the world. I, I want to ask you, by show of hands, how many of you want to be a part of this kind of church? All right. Wow, that's 95% in a good wave. Good job. I want you to imagine with me that we could be this church. What if Pastor Luke and Molly got a report of what's happening in our church? And no, not on Facebook or Facebook Live. But because your faith went out, God showed up, and here we are just praising him with all we got. And I can tell you, we all long to be a part of it, where we're accepted for who we are, our shortcomings, our failures, and we still love each other. To be this kind of church, to see it and to do it. So if you raise your hand, here's the thing. We want this report. We want somebody to write this about us. But how did Paul do it? 
right? Let's go to Acts 17. Go with me in your word, Acts 17. It's going to be one verse, (laughs) Acts 17, verse 3. This is the beauty. Paul's in Thessalonica, and he's preaching, and this is his missionary trip in Acts 17. And verse 3, it says this, Paul reasoned with the people from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. That's it. This is what he preached in Thessalonica, and there was such a revival that it spread throughout the known world. In fact, it says, and Paul and Timothy were turning the world upside down with this message. Jesus is the Christ. So I want to ask you something. We're getting to the message. Who is wearing the crown in your life? Who's wearing the crown? We all have a crown to either wear or to give. And if Jesus is not Lord and master of your life, we're serving our enemy. Could we be that church that proclaims that same message, that same thing, that Jesus is the Christ, Lord and master? I mean, this, we raise our hands, we want to be that kind of church, but you know what it takes? Making Jesus Lord of all. All your heart, all your mind, all your soul, with all your strength, turn to Jesus Christ. This is what verse 9 reports. Let's hear the report. Back in 1 Thessalonians, verse 9. For they themselves reporting concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They turn to God from idols. And I want you, to be, want you to have this in your mind. They didn't find all of their idols false and no good and then turn to God. They turned to God and all of everything else became worthless. Do you follow me? So everybody put your hand up. Put your palm out. This is what's happening. They were serving idols. They... Turn to God. Everybody turn it. They turned to God. That was repentance. And you know what? They didn't turn back. They stayed focused on God and all of the world was turned upside down. That's the kind of church we're talking about. You can put your hands down and I get a little passionate, like I said. When a church focuses everything they have on Jesus Christ. And they say he's the only hope. He's the only way. He's the only forgiveness of sins. He's it. He's our life. He's our forgiveness. He's our only hope. He, we put all of our faith in him, all of our trust. Everything is a labor of love just to tell people Jesus died for you. And this church overturns the world. Who wants to be a part of that? But then why does his people turn? And he says, but you've turned away. His very people. 
The world isn't turning from God. They haven't even looked at him. He says, my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, he'll heal our land. And I believe it because we have that Jesus that can still overturn the world now. But does he have the people to do it? It's going to come through you. It's going to come through me. It's going to come through his church. And God says, judgment starts at the house of God. Right here, us. Because we've turned to God and we've seen his awesomeness. And we slightly turn away. And I'm guilty. He says, put your hand in the plow and don't look back. You're not fit for the kingdom of God if you keep looking back. And I keep looking back in my own heart. And there's idols that we need to turn from and say, no, we turn to God and we want nothing else this world has to offer. Jesus is it. Am I too passionate? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who's wearing the crown? Because I've got to ask myself, who is on the throne in my life? If it's God, then why do I not keep all of my focus on him? All my strength, all my heart, all my soul onto Christ. There are two types of idols, and I've got to explain this, because right away we could say, hey, I turned from God once, and that's good, right? I did it. But God's not saying that we have trinkets of stone anymore. And they did. They had trinkets of stone. And they had trinkets of wood. And they had steel and the iron. And they would bow down. And you know what? God said they're all dumb. They're all stupid. And they can't do nothing for you. But we seek after them. And then that's the one type of idol that's external. We see it. We bow down. Here's the one that we struggle with. I struggle with. You'll have to ask yourself this question. The internal ones of the heart. Any pride in your heart is an idol. Any greed in your heart is an idol. Anything that you place just slightly above Jesus Christ is an idol. Is it a job? Is it a relationship? A spouse? A child? What is wearing the crown in your life, in your heart? Anything in there that's just any above is an idol. The idols of the heart. Colossians 3, 5, it talks about these in detail. Sexual immorality, impurity, idols in our heart. Hearts, but you know what? You can't see them. So I'm okay. But I don't have to stand before you in judgment. I have to stand before a holy God that the closer I am to him, the more dangerous it is for me. 
and I think I can run from God, and I can hide away, and I can say, oh, he doesn't see me over here, and I'm doing my own thing, and I get to do whatever I want to do. Hebrews chapter 4 says that all of our hearts are laid open and bare before a living God whom we must give an account. There's no hiding. Right down this road, you know it's hard to get to church because they're doing construction, doing sewer. I live on this road, and at one point, I walked right out into my front yard to see a 14-foot hole, and at the bottom of that hole was a sewer pipe, and it was wide open. And whoa, it was ripe. And this is the example of what we think God is, and I'll, I'll share it with you. It didn't happen, so don't think this is real. But I told my son, hey, don't go out into the yard and play. There's a 14-foot hole, and there's a sewer pipe open at the bottom, and don't fall in, right? Okay, Dad. Well, looking around for my son, I go out, and lo and behold, he's 14 feet down in a hole. This didn't happen. Everybody's like, where is he now? <laughs> he's still there. So... <laughs> No, the 14-foot hole down with an open sewer pipe. I told my son not to do it. Do you think my son wants forgiveness from me for disobeying me? Do you think he wants forgiveness? Yeah, so I walk up to that hole, and I'm like, hey, son, are you sorry? Okay, I love you, too. All right, don't eat what's down there, buddy. I love you. Right? <laughs> I'll throw you a sandwich. <laughs> you see, my son, he wants forgiveness from his dad. And this is what Christians want. We keep talking about God's forgiveness, but what we really want is we want to stay in the hole. We want to stay down there with the muck and the mire because you know what? We yell from there, yes, Lord, forgive me for being in this hole again. Do you want out? No, no, Lord, just forgive me for being here. At what point do his people say, Lord, save us from this hole. Lord, save us from the muck and the mire. Don't just forgive us for being here. Reach down and grab a hold of me and pull me out. And let me go find someone else and pull them out. Because he came to save the lost and the brokenhearted. And that's my Jesus. And there's no other hope. And you turn to him and you say, Lord, I want to follow you with all I got. And this world is crucified to me. I, it's got nothing. It's vain. It's an open sewer. It's a cesspool. And everybody's wanting forgiveness, but nobody wants saved. Reach down and pull your people out. And then send us out so we can pull the more. And let that overturn the world because Jesus is still here offering forgiveness. But why aren't we? John 3.17 says, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came in to save it. So why am I condemning the world? If Jesus is in me, why do I condemn it? It's not why he came. I want saved from my idols. I want saved from the internal cesspool of my own heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says, our hearts are desperately sick and wicked. Who can know them? Only the Lord. 
And he looks down and sees his people, and he's like, what are you doing in the cesspool? Why are you back? And he rescues us again. We're no different than Israel in the wilderness. That's my testimony. I don't know about yours. The Bible tells us to examine our own hearts and just see if we're in the faith. Are we fully committed? Are we all in? And when his power and his word come, there's full conviction that says, I'm not. Lord, give me the strength to turn to you again with all I've got. But help me to stay on my knees and not keep rising up and trying to own my own life and rule it and reign it. I keep wearing the crown, but you're the only one that can. Martin Luther said this, man is designed to worship. And if we don't choose to worship God, then we will worship the devil. That's it. Which way are you turning? Here's the reality. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said it this way. The devil's goal is not to get you to turn and hate God. The devil's goal is just to get you to forget about him a little bit. Have we forgotten our God? Have we turned just a little bit? Because I want to be that church that is overturning the world and telling people the gospel is still here. It's still available. And no human, kids, hear this, no human, not even ourselves can make us truly happy. Only Jesus, who was God in the flesh. It's a complete lie to think that you can make yourself happy, that you can wear your own crown and do whatever you want to do. It's a cesspool. Jesus is the master. Are we going to let him wear the crown of our life? Are we going to be zealous for him to be the king? You idols will steal everything from us and enslave us. The last part, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 2. Hear the word of the Lord's heart about his people. Jeremiah chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 4. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Stick with me. I like that Jeremiah at one point in his mission says that the word of the Lord is in him like a fire and his bones burn. Now you know what's in me. Jeremiah chapter 2, hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob and the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me? What wrong have we found in God? That we turn from him and go far from him. We went after worthless. It's a word to his people. The world is full of worthlessness. Have we turned to the Lord? And he says in verse 11, Has a nation changed its gods even though there are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. 
they forsake and turn from me, the fountain of living water, and they dig or hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Think of this. We're all in a desert, and in a desert, water is very scarce. In that desert, there is a stream of water flowing right by us all. And God is saying, my people have done two evils. They've turned from the streams of living waters, and they went and they have dug out cisterns for themselves that don't even hold any water. And it's empty. But this cesspool of empty is what we desire more than we desire the living water. And I'm talking to people that know what emptiness really is. Have you drank of Jesus and had your soul refreshed and washed? Yes. If you have, hallelujah. But his people need a drink every single day from it. And then we go out and we offer living water to everyone around us because we know where the source is. A church that can overturn the world with the love and the power of the gospel. So I'd ask you, who is wearing the crown? Ask the band if they'd come forward. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. The Bible tells us, as I said, to examine your own heart, to see if you're even in the faith. Have you come to Jesus? The gospel that he came and died and rose again with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength turning to Jesus. Now's the time. He's our only hope. Heavenly Father, we thank you that that water of life is still flowing. Lord, I pray that you keep it on for thousands of years. That we could all be your people. We could drink and yet we could run out and be a church that shares the faith and the hope and the love with a passion that only you can provide. Thank you for your word. Thank you for full conviction. Thank you for falling upon us as we turn to you and we praise you. Help us to let you wear the crown in our heart, in our minds, in our homes, in our marriages in our church, in every part, may we be called your people. We love you. We thank you for a chance to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love to meet you here with prayer. Anything you want to pray where you are, come to the altar. Let's just turn to God with all we got. Let's stand and let's sing. Gratitude. <laughs>